Uh, welcome to the Monday night um, upper room here at Calvary Chapel. We're moving locations for tonight. And uh, tonight we're going to be going through the second of the commandments. So Exodus chapter 20, and this evening we'll be doing verses 4 through 6. But let's simply bow our hearts. Father, we are grateful for who you are, grateful for what you do, how you move, how you minister. And Father, we do simply ask that you would keep our eyes set upon you, that you through your spirit and through your word would keep us focused, oh so focused, on your son Jesus Christ. We would not allow the things of the world, the things the enemy places in front of us, the things our flesh desire, idols to get in the way. And to lose focus on who you are and what you've done. To lose that intimacy with you. To begin to move into a place of complacency. So we're asking, Lord, that through this word, through your spirit, we would have a better understanding of the dangers of what serving idols really is to us. And we don't, we don't serve wooden images. We don't serve images of gold and, and silver in that sense. There's so many things, Lord, that the idols represented that we do drift towards. So help us have some clarity tonight as we look to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, next is chapter 20. Um, we have noted that this, um, as we're going through the commandments, the first is just the superiority of God. Just have no other gods before me. And as he does that, this next commandment deals almost with this act of worshiping God. And as we look to this, what we're going to see is, is he says in verse 3, of course, you shall have no other gods before me. It's only me. And then he sets up in verses 4 through 6, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. So he talks about himself, don't have any idols, make no carved images, don't worship anything that is earthly, worship me. Verse 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. He said, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. As we look to this, we've noted how there in chapter 19 that this covenant here is a conditional covenant that was given to the nation Israel. And within this covenant, they are the commandments. And of course, the commandments we've noted are, are holy, just, and good. We've talked about that through the first study. And, but at the same time, it's the inability of the children of Israel to keep it. But it is a conditional covenant. So this is not like the Abrahamic covenant. This is not like the new covenant that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ, where it's God's work and only God's work. And it's not an if-then, but it's only him. Now, in Exodus 19, we noted in verse 5, Now, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my commandment, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all the people, 
for all the earth is mine. So this was a conditional covenant. If you will, then you shall be. So if you do this, you're going to be. And we also noted how there in verse 8, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord had spoken we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. At this point, we see that they accepted this covenant. They accepted their role within this covenant of the if-then. And so as they walk in obedience to this covenant, the blessings flow. As they walk in disobedience to this covenant, as they don't uphold their end, then God deals with them according to this conditional covenant. Now, where we are is this. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, it's opened up where God spoke all these words. These words are important. These words are necessary. Now, although we understand this as a conditional covenant towards Israel, that Israel keeps it, keep in mind this is still the revelation of the heart of God. This is still a revelation of his nature. It's about how we love him and it's about how we love people. And so we had made that note that this whole issue of the commandments are based on one thing. It's based on love. Now we come to this area of an idol. Initially, he says here in verse 4, you shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath or that is in the water um, under the earth. So he talks about not making carved images. So the, the question is, is what is an idol? Now, most of us understand what was an idol to the nation of Israel, what was an idol to the people around Israel, those in the world. But how does that translate to what are idols for us today? Um, do we worship, you know, these images of, of, you know, wood, of silver, of gold? To answer that first question, um, don't make for yourself a carved image. What were the idols? Um, three verses that you should be aware of as far as really what idols are. Um, the first is found in Isaiah chapter 44. Now these three verses are key to really gravitating to and have an idea of, of what really idol worship is. In Isaiah chapter 44, I'm going to be reading from verses 6 through 20. And I'm going to focus on verse 18 for a bit as we go through this. But I do want you to see here how what God is going to say is, listen, it's a man that makes this God. It's a man that makes this idol. It, and, and, and he, as he does so, he's the one that makes it. And by the time he gets done, he's just exhausted. He gets tired in making the idol. So keep in mind, it isn't where God creates man and God has enough energy to make, you know, the whole universe as well. But it is man who's trying to make a God. It begins this. Isaiah 44, I want to back it up to verse 6 so you can see the difference between the idol and God. But it says this, Isaiah 44, verse 6, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God, and who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order, since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come. Let them show these to them. In other words, let, let your idols tell you what's going to happen. Do not fear nor be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God beside me? Indeed, there is no 
other rock. I know not one. And now he says this in verse 9. Those who make an image, all of them are useless, and their precious things shall not profit. So, in other words, when you make an idol of gold versus an idol of wood, it's not where, oh, wow, now it's really a more powerful idol because I made it of gold, not of silver and not of wood. And so he says, you know, their precious things shall not profit. So if you're making an idol, you know, the thing is have a really big smile on it and then fill in their grill with all of their gemstones and, and say, now it's really something. Look at the smile of my idol. But he says, listen, and their precious things shall not profit. If you make the idol of a more valuable material, it doesn't make the idol better, stronger. And then he says, they are their own witnesses. They neither see nor know that, that they may be ashamed. So in verse 10, who would form a God or mold an image that profits him nothing? Surely all his companions would be ashamed, and the workmen, they are mere men. So he says, why would you make a God that isn't me? Why would you do that? And so he says, let them all be gathered together. Let them stand up, yet they shall fear. They shall be ashamed together. The blacksmith, verse 12, works with with the tongs work one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and he works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he is hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. So he's exhausted in the making of this God. The craftsman, verse 13, stretches out his rule. He marks one with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks out it out with a compass, he makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of man, that it may remain in the house. He cuts down cedars for himself, and he takes the cypress and the oak, and he secures it for himself among the trees in the forest. He plants a pine, and the rain nourishes it. So he talks about the different types of wood that you can make an idol from. And he says, and then when you gather this wood, this is what happens in verse 15. Then it shall be for a man to burn, for he will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. And indeed, he makes a god and he worships it. He makes it a carved image and he falls down to it. So as he takes down this tree, he takes one section to be his god, the other section he takes and he puts it in the furnace to warm himself. He puts it in the fire. He uses it to bake bread. And so half of this tree is used for an idol. The other part is used to warm him and bakes bread. Now in verse 16, he says, he burns half of it in the fire. And with this half, he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, ah, I'm warm. I've seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, deliver me for you are my god. Now here's the question. You cut down a tree and you take a section of it and you make it your god. 
The rest of the tree, you burn in the fire and you make your, your meal, you, you get warmth from it. How do you know that you kept the right portion for your God? I mean, if you kept the top half, what if the bottom half was your God? And, and you said, oh no, I burned the God part and, and I, I, you know, I carved the image out of the useless part. If any part of the tree is worthless, the whole tree is worthless. But he says, listen, the part that I saved, the part that I crafted, you are my God. And although you had to form this God and cut down the tree and craft it, you're now asking this image to deliver you. And you pray to it and you say, deliver me for you are my God. Now in verse 18, they do not know nor understand for you shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. In verse 18, God is making the statement, you want to worship these idols, so I've blinded you to what is ludicrous about how you're making these idols. That you're thinking if it's an idol of wood, it has so much power, but if I put it of silver, does it become more powerful? If I make it of gold and add jewels to it, is it more? But God says, they don't know or understand because I, verse 8, he says, he shut their eyes so that they cannot see and their hearts so that they cannot understand. And then in verse 19, he says, no one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge nor understanding to say, I've burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I've also baked bread on its coals, and I've roasted meat, and I've eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside, and he, this is the idol, cannot deliver his soul, nor is nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? So when you look at this idol that you carved, don't you say, look at this lie? It isn't a true thing. It's simply a lie. So we take a look at what Isaiah talks about the idol. Then the next portion of scripture is what Jeremiah says about the idol. I'm going to start reading in Jeremiah chapter 10. I'm going to start there in verse 1 and read down to verse 16. But it says, hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord. Do not learn the way of the Gentiles, nor be dismayed at the sign of heaven, for the Gentiles are dismayed at them. The customs of the people are futile. For one cuts a tree from the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with an axe, and they decorate it with silver and gold, and they fasten it with nails and hammer so that it will not topple. So not only are you making this idol, but then you have to secure the idol so that if something shakes or bumps the table, the idol doesn't fall down. Now, isn't this amazing that here in their mind, they actually have to make sure the idol doesn't fall over and yet they're asking this idol to deliver them. The idol can't even stand on its own and yet they're asking it to simply be their deliverer. So it goes on, and as, as we see here, let's back up to verse um, 4. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with nails and hammer so that it will not topple. They are upright like a palm tree. They cannot speak. They must be carried. Because they cannot go by themselves, do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. So this idol, when you want it to go, you have to do what? You have to bring it with you. You have to get it. You got to pick it up and move it from one room. If the idol can't even move itself, how can it move to protect you? 
And I love how the end of verse 5, it says, They cannot do evil, nor can they do any good. Inasmuch as there is none like you, O Lord, comparing the idols now to God. You are great. Your name is, a great, is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your rightful due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there's none like you. But they are altogether dull-hearted and foolish. A wooden idol is worthless doctrine. And I think it's interesting that I want to pause now in, in, in verse 8 because he says the people who have these idols, they're dull-hearted and they're foolish. I want to focus on this dull-hearted for just a moment. Their, their heart maybe at one time burned for God, but now their, their heart begins to, you know, taper off from the fervor of loving God and serving God. And so they, their, their heart becomes dull. And God says, and, and, and you're, you're foolish, a wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. As you're pursuing other things to say, this will make me happy, or this will give me this, or this will provide for me here. He says, these things that men pursue to, that, you know, expands what it should be beyond its normal amount of consumption in your life. When you don't see these things as this is what God provided for me, and I'm a steward of it, and I need to glorify God with it. But all of a sudden, it takes a place of its own where you don't realize this is of God. I'm only a steward of it. It begins to control you. And so we understand that when you are pursuing these things, not just using them to glorify God, but he says this at the end of verse 8, a wooden idol is a worthless doctrine. The, the, the belief that this is going to do something in my life, that I don't turn to God instead, is a worthless doctrine. Well, verse 9, he says, Silver is beaten into plates, and is brought from Tarshish, and gold from Euphaz, and the work of the craftsmen, and the hands of the metalsmith, blue and purple, are their clothing. They are all the work of skillful men. But the Lord, no matter how you decorate it, but the Lord, verse 10, is the true God. He is a living God and the everlasting king. And his wrath, at his wrath, the earth will tremble. And the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Thus you should say to them, the gods, that have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under these heavens. So all of these little gods, these idols you've made, they're going to perish like the heaven and earth will perish. They haven't made the heavens and earth. God made the heavens and earth. And so as they have no power to do anything, they too will perish. Now in verse 12, it says, He has made the earth by his power. He has established a word by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens at his discretion. When he utters his voice, there is a multitude of water in the heavens, and he causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings wind out of his treasuries. Everyone is dull-hearted without knowledge. Now, again, he goes to this point to say, your, your, your mind is beginning to be dull. Your heart is beginning to be dull. You're moving from the purity of worshiping God and now you're backtracking, and of course you're dull-hearted without knowledge. Every metalsmith is put to shame by an image, for his molded image is falsehood, and there is no breath in them. In other words, they, they have no life. 
Verse 15, they are futile, the work of errors. They have no power. In the time of their punishment, they shall perish. The portion of Jacob is not like them. What God is to Jacob and Israel is not like what the idols are to them. For he is the maker of all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. We begin to see that these are what the idols are. They are simply what men make, and they are the ones who are saying, I've made this thing. It is now a God. It can deliver me. And they don't realize everything that we've looked to. Men are making it. Men have to hold it, and it has no power. Now, one other passage, New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I want to give you four different um, or three different portions of the scripture. I want to give you verse 7. I want to give you verse 14. And I want to give you verses 18 through 20. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 7 says, And do not become idolaters as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Do not become idolaters. Do not become idol worshipers. The, the people immediately, they you know, when Moses delayed, they made idols. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And he talks about something important here in the New Testament. One, is do not become an idolater. Be careful with what happened. The people pursued other things in their passion and pleasure other than God. And that's what they did. Verse 7, they, they, they sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. They were pursuing a passion and indulging in these passions without giving themselves over to God. And then, of course, 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. If you realize there's anything about your life that is pursuing an idol, something that has this abnormal amount of consumption in your life. He says, flee it, get rid of it. And then he says this in verses 18 through 20. Observe Israel after the flesh are not those who eat the sacrifice, eat of the sacrifice, partakers of the altar. What am I saying then? That an, that an idol is anything? or that what is offered to an idol is anything? Rather, verse 20, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. So he now makes a point that these idols, in a sense, are demonic. And so as you recognize what happens, we begin to see that this is really what God is warning these Children of Israel, be careful. The idol are demonic. It says it the same way in, just jot this down, Leviticus chapter 17, verses 6 and 7. I just want to share it with you. But it makes this statement. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood of the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle meeting and burn the fat for the sweet aroma to the Lord. So you give everything to the Lord. Verse 7, they shall no more offer their sacrifices to demons after whom they have played the harlot. This shall be a statute forever um, for them throughout their generations. So we begin to see that although they are the, workmen of, the, the workmanship of men's hands, the Lord says that there's a de de demonic 
influence that comes with it. There's a demonic influence that is trying to draw you away from fervently loving and serving God into giving yourselves over to these idols. So now we understand what an idol is. Now, I want to share with you two things where he makes this statement in verse 4, you shall not make for yourself any carved image. Two things of warning of what Israel needs to face is there are idols where they have been and there's idols where they are going. And the reason we want to look at both of these examples is this. In our lives prior to becoming a Christian, there were things that we were given over to, things that this will give me pleasure and this is, is what I need to make me happy and all these things that we pursued other than God. Those were the idols where we have been. And then what happens is this, that after you become a Christian, all of a sudden you've walked with God and you've done the Christian thing. And now it's like, okay, well, I've done the Christian thing. Let me now pursue this new thing. And, and that becomes where like this now is my source of happiness. I've lost that fervor of loving and serving God to now I'm giving myself over to this new thing. And that's what we're looking at. There's idols where they've been. There's idols where they're going. And for us as Christians, there may have been things that we allowed to have this ad abnormal amount of consumption in my life before I was Christian. And be careful that after you become a Christian, that you don't slide back into those things of saying, well, now I'm going to pursue this other thing. First of all, idols of where they have been. There's that passage we've shared it before in Joshua chapter 24. I want to start reading in verse 14. I'm going to read down to verse 24. But it makes this statement. Joshua 24, verse 14. Now the fear, now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river, and in Egypt serve the Lord. Now keep in mind that Joshua is here in the promised land, and he's telling the nation of Israel, fear the Lord and serve him. Now this is after the 40 years in the wilderness, but notice what else he says. He says, you, you serve the Lord in sincerity and truth. And he says, put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt served the Lord. They were still after 40 years carrying the idols of their fathers. They were still dragging them around. And now these idols have left is Egypt, have wandered through the wilderness with them, have now come into the promised land. And Joshua has to tell them, put away the gods. Put these idols away. Verse 15, and if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, well then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's interesting, there's a lot of people who have a placard in their house, as for me and my house, they will serve the Lord, but they fail to put the warnings, be careful of serving all the things you did in the past, and these new things that will pop up in the future. The gods of Egypt and now these gods of the Amorites. So verse 16, so the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. So they said, we're keeping them in our possession, but we're really not serving them. And then verse 17, for the Lord our God is he who brought us up. 
and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove, from, drove out from before us all the people, including the Amorites, who dwelt in the land. We also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. So God has driven out the Amorites. We're going to serve God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. And he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done you good. And he goes on to say in verse 21, and the people said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. So Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord for yourselves to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now in verse 23, he says, now therefore, he said, put away the foreign gods which are among you. Isn't it amazing? He says, these foreign gods, these idols are still among you. And incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. He says, you got to get rid of it. You can't hold on to it. you got to, you know, like, like, like Matthew, you know, just if your eye offends, you pluck it out of your hand, cut it off. you got to deal with it. He says, put these things away. And in verse 24, the people said, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. It's interesting that Joshua warns us, you got to get rid of your idols. You got to let these things go. And, and amazingly, he says, do it now. Have you ever noticed that if, if God is, is putting it upon your heart, say, oh, you know what? There are maybe certain idols. Or maybe as you go through the message, you're going to realize, wow, I do have this. And it is taking this, this abnormal amount of consumption of my life. And, and I got to let this go. But then you choose not to. I'll do it tomorrow or I'll do it the next day. Well, the longer you wait, the harder it begins to be. And, and so if, if you're thinking that, that what you have is an idol, but it's not a serious worship, I, I have this in my life, but I'm still able to serve God to a degree. Joshua's warning you, if, if you think it's not serious, the longer you hold on to it, and if you don't deal with it now, it's going to be harder and harder. So not only were their idols where they have been, they're dragging their idols from Egypt, they're also the idols of where they are going. I want to share with you a portion of scripture from Exodus chapter 23. I'm going to start reading in verse 23. I want to focus on verses 32 and 33, but it begins this. Exodus 23, 23, 4. My angel go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Verse 24, God says, I'm going to bring you in verse 23, but verse 24, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. Not only destroy their idols, but destroy all the places where idol worship begins, where the, the, the places where your heart can be drawn into these idol worship. Verse 25, so you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless you. He will bless your bread and your water and 
I will take sickness away from the midst of you, and no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. And I will fulfill the number of your days, and I will send my fear before you, and I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. In other words, run. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the, the Hittite from before you. Now he says in verse 29, I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. But little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the, to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river, and I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them nor with their gods. Now, they're making this conditional covenant with God. And what they're going to do is they're going to make an unconditional covenant where the idol is going to do nothing or promise them nothing or going to do nothing for them. But yet they're going to give themselves over to the idol. And this is where verse 32 is key here. You shall make no covenant with them, the people of the land, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, he makes this statement, it will surely be a snare to you. If you serve their gods, you're going to be tripped up. So understand, he, we understand where he says, do not make for yourself a carved image. We will be careful of what an idol is. We know what the idols are. As we looked at those three passages, Isaiah 44, Jeremiah 10, 1 Corinthians 10. And then in Joshua 24, there's idols where you've been. And then in Exodus 23, there's idols where you're going. So this is what, you know, we see what's happening when he makes this statement in verse 4. You shall make no, you shall not make for yourselves a carved image. Be careful of anything that begins to draw your attention away from God. But then in verse 5, he says this, nor bow down to them, nor serve them. We know what an idol is, but now what does it mean to bow down and serve it? Well, in, in a sense, the same thing that we were looking at there in Joshua 24, 14. He says, you know, be, be careful of what you do because what happens is, you know, that if you begin to serve that idol, um, it's going to become a snare for you. All of these, these gods that you drug with you and, and that you, you had, you, you let them, you, you kept them and you can be drawn away by them. Get rid of them. But when he says don't bow down and serve it, keep in mind that what an idol will do, an idol is going to make us complacent in our worship. In other words, what we're seeing is you're going to make an excuse why you can back away from God and not be fully committing your devotion to God. Now, maybe you've seen some people that are just fully committed on fire for the Lord. And maybe you've been at one point too. But now all of a sudden there's other things where it's like, you know what? I'm okay. My relationship with God is good enough, and I love God, and I'm happy the way I love God, and I can, I can give myself over to these other things as well. And this is what happens, because an idol is going to say, you know what, you can, you can love God, and that's okay, but give me my time. Don't give God everything. Give God most things or some things, but, but give me my time as well. 
And, and to, to just let you kind of believe that lie that your relationship with God is good enough. Don't pursue any more. Don't pursue a deeper relationship. Don't pursue a more intimate relationship. Don't give yourself further over to God. What you have is good enough. So when you're focusing on an idol, you're saying, my relationship with God is good enough. But when you focus on Christ, all of a sudden I'm focused on his love. I'm focused on the gift of, of eternal life through the cross. And I love him more. And I want to serve him more. And I draw closer to him. Now, an idol is going to cause me or move me to take a step away from God. And then, but once you take one step away, it becomes easier to take another step away. And the idol begins to do that. It begins to move you backwards in increments. Where you look to Jesus, he moves you forward, continue to draw as close to God as you possibly can. But when you take that first step and the second step and the third step and the idol tries to entice you to say, you know what, it's okay to, you know, skip church for this other thing. It's okay to skip my devotions for this. And, and there's so many things that we think God deserves this time. He deserves my devotion. He deserves these things. But the idol says, you know what, you can skip it. Yeah, God deserves it, but it's not that important that you give him this time. It's not that important. You can step back a little bit from your intensity of your love for Jesus Christ. And that's what an idol begins to do. It begins you to, to turn your attention away from the Lord and, and drawing closer to him to just say, now look at something else and thinking, oh yeah, I can look at this because where I am with God is good enough. But if you choose not to deal with these idols, if you say, you know, I can still look at these things and I can still participate in these things and God, because what I have with God is good enough, you need to realize that there's warnings that come. I want to share with you a passage found in 2 Kings chapter 17. I'm going to start reading in verse 5 and I'm going to go down to verse 23, but it begins this. Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and he besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and he carried Israel away to Assyria and he placed them in Hala by the harbor, the river Gozan, and the cities of the Medes. For it was, now here's where the key is, verse 7, that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. They began to pursue idol worship. They began to, you know, reverence other gods and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord had cast out from before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. And also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God the things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their cities from a watchtower to a fortified city. So not only did they serve these idols, but they made places where others could be drawn in to come in and experience these other idols. And it says this, verse 10, they set up for themselves sacred pillars, wooden images on every high hill and on every green tree. Verse 11, and there they burn incense on all the high places like the nations whom the Lord had carried away from before them. And they, didn't, they did the wicked things and they provoked the Lord to anger for they served idols of which the Lord had said, you shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah 
by all his prophets, every seer saying, turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers, which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Verse 14, nevertheless, they would not hear, but they stiffened their necks like the neck of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he testified against them. And they followed idols. They became idolaters. And they went after the nations that were all around them concerning whom the Lord had charged that they should not do like them. So they left all the commandments of the Lord their God. They made for themselves molded image, two calves, and they made a wooden image. They worshiped the host of the heaven, and they served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft, and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Verse 18, therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. If you don't deal with getting rid of the idols, you want to keep the idols and God, or you're going to keep the idols and they eventually overcome your service to God. God says, I'm going to get rid of you. I'm going to get rid of you and I'm going to get rid of the idols. You, you cannot have both. You cannot have me and these idols. And so he's getting rid of Israel. And it said this in verse 17, they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft, soothsaying, sold themselves to do evil. They killed their children for the sake of these idols. Practice witchcraft. Well, verse 18 again, Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel, removed them from his sight. There was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. And Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but they walked in the statutes of Israel which they had made. So we see that even Judah doesn't keep the commands of the Lord, verse 19. They walk in the statutes of Israel. They walk in the, the statutes of these idols. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, delivered them into the hand of the plunders until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David. And they made Jeroboam the son of Nebat king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord, and he made them commit great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, and they did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. He had said by all the servants of the prophets, so Israel was carried away from their own land to Assyria. So God says, you don't want to serve me? I'll get rid of you. I can't have you do me. So you have to understand that when, if God is telling you to get rid of your idols, act on it. Don't, don't delay on it. Now here's the big question. Why is it and what do we do by looking at idols? We understand what an idol is. What is idols to us this day and age? And, and, and what is the, the issue of why we do look to idols? There's a passage, you should turn in your Bibles, get there, um, Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. And, and what happens is this, it talks about serving something that isn't God, and it, it's going to give us this warning, and, and I hate to say it, because we do not know God. Take a look at Galatians chapter 4, and let's begin reading in verse 8. But then indeed, when you did not know God, so you don't understand God, then you serve those things which were by nature were not gods. 
In other words, you served idols. You didn't understand the true God, so you, you, you served these other gods, but you didn't know him. And then he says this, now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, now that God has, has, has shown you himself, how is it that you turn back to the weak and beggarly elements from which you desire again to be in bondage? He says, the reason that we look to idols, he says this, is because you really don't know God. If you know God, you're not going to be looking to these other things. If you realize who God is, God is my joy. He is my peace. He's my everything for everything. And, and if I begin to pursue something else other than God for pleasure, for this, for that, then what, what I'm saying is that, listen, you're, you're serving something because you know, don't know God. Now, if you're saying, listen, I already know this. I already know about these idols, and, and I understand that. Well, Listen, you, you can tune out to really what the word of God is saying, or you can really dive deeper and begin to know more about what it is when God says, be careful of what an idol is. Be careful when you begin to act on when you think your devotion for God is sufficient. What I'm doing with God is good enough. I can now go do this, and I can now go do this. I love him enough. So ultimately, I can love this thing as well. And we've already talked about how Matthew you know, 6.24 says, you can't have two masters. You know, the, the, you're you're, you're going to have, you're going to serve one and hate the other. And so um, keep in mind that when you love something apart from God, you're actually going to be drawn away from God. When you're pursuing something that for, for pleasure that isn't God, then you're going to be drawn away from God. And so what happens is this. There is a way that we can have things in our lives, but it's this. We say, I love God more because he's put this thing in my life so that I can be a steward of this thing. And I'm always remembering that it's God's, that it's God and I'm serving him and that if I'm, if I'm a steward in it and, and then I'm accountable to him with it. Now, what an idol will do is says God has nothing to do with it. You can just do whatever you want, however you want, and, and it's yours to control, not God put this in my life. I'm a steward of it and I need to glorify God in it. It'll never become a substitution from God. It'll never draw me away from serving God. Not to say, you know what, I can, I can avoid church today. I can, you know, avoid my devotions today. I can do these other things. Be careful. We're a steward of these things. We're accountable to God with these things. And what happens is I begin to love him more because of what he puts in my life. And, and how he's allowed my life to grow and, and what should happen is this should allow me to mature and to simply love him more. But we do realize the, the, the danger of what happens. Initially in verse 8 of Galatians 4, when you did not know God, you served those things which were by nature not God's. And then in verse 9, he makes this statement, but now after you've known God, or rather known by God, how is it that you again turn to the weaker and beggarly things to which you desire again to be in bondage? He says you become in bondage to these things. You become indifferent to God. And you now are, are focused on this one thing. 
And, and what happens is I become less vigilant of the snares that these things are actually doing, drawing me away from the fervency of loving God with more and more and more of my heart and more of my soul and, and more of my life. And so when I'm doing these idols, I have a, a lethargy towards God. I begin to say, well, it's, it's good enough here. And, and what happens is we don't see these idols as a threat. It's just a little thing. It's not an evil thing. It's just something I really, really want to do. Well, keep in mind, when we say it's not an evil thing, I'm, I'm going to ask you a question. Is, is it evil in the sense that it's drawing you away from God? And if it's drawing you away from God, I would not call it holy. I would not call it good. I would call it the reverse. I would call it evil. And the heart is it, can you make these things that you're pursuing outside of God, can you make it into a worship? Can you say, Lord, I'm worshiping you through this thing. I'm worshiping you through this event. I'm worshiping you through this thing that is now in my life. When you can do that, when you can pursue that thing and make it into worship with God, at that point, you're like, oh, I'm a steward of it. And, and, and God is blessing me here. And at the same time, I'm fervently, fervently pursuing God even more because of his goodness. And what happens is this. When it comes to be these areas of the idols, when you feel emotion, where do you turn? A lot of times what happens is this, is people, when they're frustrated, they turn to this thing. When they're upset, they turn to this thing. When they're angry, they turn to this thing. When they're happy, they turn to this thing, rather than turning to God. And, and, and I think what happens is there are all kinds of things that the people will use as their crutch. And God says, I want to be your crutch. I want to be your everything. Come to me with these things. And so often when we have these things, we always go to that. You know how the alcoholic, he's, he's angry, he takes a drink. He's happy, he's taking a drink. You know, he's sad, he's taking a drink. He's frustrated, he takes a drink. And so keep in mind that, that God is so concerned about the idols and how we are drawn away by them that what God literally says is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you how desperately you need to move away from these idols. And that's where we had already seen um, where there in, in, in um, Second Kings is, you know, I'm going to drive them out. I have to move them away because of what they are participating in this. Now, as we go on here in Galatians 4, in verse 9, he says, Now after you've known God, or rather known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. Now at this point, what he's saying is you're giving yourselves over to the feasts you're giving yourselves over to these things. And I want you to see that he's placing them. And what he's talking about the feast is this. If the feast of the law, if you desire this outward working in your life more than the grace of God in Jesus Christ. In other words, my pleasure comes through keeping this feast. My, my security comes through keeping this feast. My security comes through these areas of the law. When that happens, and this is what Paul is saying, 
here in verse 10 of Galatians 4, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. So even these things that are good and right can become, in, in a sense, an idol. And, and so you can have things that are, are, you know, sometimes idols could seem like they're evil. Sometimes idols can seem like they're neutral. But sometimes idols can seem like they're good. These are good things and they're right things. But if they begin to, to say, this is where my, my um, how I see myself and I picture myself because of this, not I see myself in Christ. I see myself as a sinner saved by grace, but I'm a steward of all that he gives. And so be careful what happens because we have this tendency of thinking that even the, the one who's the legalist, he has a way of putting these things in his own mind to say, oh, these are the things that I do and this is what I will pursue. And so I, I want you to see that when it comes to these areas of idol worship, when it comes to these areas of things that are are we put in front of God that we can, as Christians, put feasts. And that's what they were doing in Israel. The feasts were above God. The, that was where they made their stand. This is how they saw themselves. There's a couple of warnings I want to give you. The first is found in, in Romans chapter 2. I want to start reading in verse 17. I'm going to read down to verse 25. And I want you to focus on, on here what Paul is saying to the Jew. Indeed, Romans 2.17, you are called a Jew, and you rest on the law, and you make your boast in God. Now, here he says, okay, you're resting in the law, you're making your boast on God, you know his will, you approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. And you're confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, you're a light to those who are in darkness. You're an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes. Having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. Now, he says it's a form of it, not, not, not the actual, because what happens is this. This is why he says it's a form. Verse 21, therefore, you who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? So he, he talks about here the Jew and, and what the Jew does. He says, you, you, know, you keep on up these areas, these aspects of the law. But what happens is this. When you focus on the law as your pleasure, when you focus on the law as this is what makes me who I am versus Jesus makes me who I am. The grace of God, which is in me, makes me who I am. He says this in verse 23 of Romans 2. You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through the breaking of the law? For the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles because of you. So when he says in verse 3, he says, do you make, you who make your boast in the law, if you're saying that the law is something that I do and the law is something that I, I have to, you know, accomplish, I want you to understand that when you break one of those, notice what it says in verse 23, you who make your boast in the law, you dishonor God through the breaking of the law. In other words, if you're saying I'm keeping the law, but you break one law, guess what? You've dishonored God. 
So when you pursue the law, and the law itself can become this point of idol, because he says, you who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God in the breaking of that law? Yes, you do. So if you're saying the law is what makes me who I am, every time you break any one of the laws, like Israel, they, they said, okay, we're going to keep this. And we're finding out that you can say, well, okay, well, I've never murdered. But if you're angry at your brother, you've murdered in your heart. Do you realize that every time you say that the law is who I am versus Christ is who I am and who I am in Christ, I'm focusing on him. I'm not focusing on these shadows. I'm not focusing on these types. Now, I love them and I want to do them, but it's not as this is my identity. My identity is still Jesus Christ. And the reason I want to do them is what? I want to be like my Lord. I want to have intimacy with my Father. And when the Spirit draws me and empowers me, these are the things that I want to do. And I think it's important for us to recognize those truths. Galatians chapter 6. I want to start reading in verse 13. He says this, For not even those who are circumcised keep the law. He's saying, you know, you keep the law. You know, and, and those who are, are, are Jews, those who are circumcised, he says, they don't even keep the law. So in a sense, he's saying, you who are circumcised, you who are Jews, you're not keeping the law. You're dishonoring God. But they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. He said, I want you to do the law so that what? So that I can boast and now you're, you're doing this right and you're doing that right. Well, understand, you need to be just focused on the Lord. And he's going to cause you to walk in these truths. He's going to cause your heart to want to do these truths. But what happens is when you do these truths, even these can become this law. But they, they want you to, although they're breaking the law, they want you to be circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But then he said this in verse 14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Be careful, be careful, be careful, dear Christian, that we need to watch how we give ourselves over to idols. And the idols can even be good things. They could be God things, but they're not pursuing Jesus relentlessly, the grace that he's given us relentlessly. So understand, dealing with idols radically. One last passage I want to share with you. Deuteronomy chapter 13. It begins in verse 1. If there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, he gives you a sign or a wonder. And the sign of the wonder comes to pass, of which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or the dreamer, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God. So someone comes in and says, hey, come serve these other gods. Let's go after other gods. He says, it's the, God is testing whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. And you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he's spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God. He says, if someone tries to draw you away to focus on something else other than God, got to deal with them, cast him away, put him to death, verse 5. That prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he's spoken in order to turn you away from the Lord your God 
and who brought you out of the land of Egypt to redeem you from the house of bondage, to entice you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you should put away the evil from your midst. Then he says this, or if your brother, the son of your mother, the son of your daughter, the wife of your bosom, or your friend who is as your own soul secretly enticing, says, hey, let's go and serve these other gods, which you have not known. Neither you nor your fathers, of the gods of the people of all around you, near or far from you, from the ends of the earth to the other end of the earth, you shall not consent to him, listen to him, nor shall your eye pity him, you shall nor shall you spare him or conceal him. Don't hide it. When even your family members, your dearest friends, cause you to draw away from the Lord. But verse 9, you shall surely kill him. Your hand shall be first against him to put him to death, and afterward the hand of all the people. You understand how radically God is dealing with anyone who would cause you to draw away from him? And so, verse 10, you shall stone him with stones until he dies because he has sought to entice you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Verse 11, so all the children of Israel shall hear and fear and not again do such wickedness as is among you. And if you hear someone in, your own, of your, in one of your cities which the Lord your God gives you to dwell in, saying, corrupt men have gone out from among you and enticed the inhabitants of their city, saying, let's go serve other gods which you have not known. Then you shall inquire, search out, and ask diligently. If indeed it is true and certain as such an abomination was committed against you, you shall surely strike the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, utterly destroy it, destroying it and all that is in it, and the livestock with the edge of the sword, and you shall gather all its plunder to the middle of the street and completely burn it with fire and all of its splendor for the Lord your God. It shall be a heap forever and shall not be built again. So no one of the cursed things shall remain in your hand. The Lord may turn from the fierceness of his anger and show you mercy and have compassion on you, multiply you just as you swore to your fathers because you've not listened to the voice, because you've listened to the voice of the Lord your God to keep all his commandments, which I command you today to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord your God. Do you understand how radically he wants you to deal with those who would draw you away from himself? If anyone tries to entice you, kill him, whether it's family member, friend, even if it's a whole city, destroy that city. Because God knows as soon as you take your eyes off the Lord, the idol is going to say, what you have is good enough. You become lukewarm in your faith. You become lukewarm in your pursuit of God. And once you become lukewarm, you begin to grow cold. Just as Jesus had made that statement in Matthew 5, 29 and 30, if your right eye cause offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. You've got to deal with these things radically. And that's what the thing was about idol. If something is causing you to draw away from God or say, what I have with God is enough and not pursue him radically and vehemently, then you've got to literally cut it out of your life. You've got to pursue the Lord. Now, as he comes in, I want to close with this. That there at the end of, of verse 5 of Exodus 20, he makes a statement. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. The problem with this passage isn't in the passage, it's how people interpret the passage where God is visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third or the fourth generation. In other words, their generational sins. And I want to share with you that that is not 
uh, um, what God desires, nor is he for generational sins. Let me share you one passage so that you can have an understanding. In Ezekiel chapter 18, the word of the Lord came to me again, verse 1, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, Your fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son, is mine. The soul that sins shall dies, shall die. If a man is just, he does what is lawful and right. If he's not eaten all these things, and eventually it says at the end of verse 9, if he's walked in my statutes, kept my judgments faithfully, and is just, he shall live. Verse 10, if he begets a son who's a robber or a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, and, and does none of those duties, but is eaten on the mountains, defiled um, his neighbor's wife, um, we, we see again in verse 13, if he's acted exacted usury or taken increase, he shall, shall he then live? He shall not live. If he's done any of these abominations, he shall surely die. His blood is upon him. However, if he begets a son who sees all the sins of his father, which he has done, considers but does not do likewise, verse 17 at the end, but he has executed my judgment and walked in my statutes, he shall not die for the iniquity of his father. He shall surely live. Do you understand what God is saying? It's not generational. So when people say that, listen, um, when you are serving an idol, God is going to um, visit the iniquity upon, of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generation. It is not a generational sin. But God is going to visit Everyone in their iniquity. He visited me in my iniquity. He visited you in your iniquity. He visited my children in their iniquity. He's visiting my grandchildren in their iniquity. He visits us in our iniquity. For those who hate him, he's going to deal with them. But showing mercy, verse 6, to thousands to those who love him and keep his commandments. God is going to visit everyone in their iniquity. But those who choose to give themselves over to him, pursue him with everything they are, they're going to find joy. But keep in mind, you know as well as I do, that when an idol comes in and begins to distract you, that we begin to lose that place of intimacy with God. Have no other gods before me. Do not make for yourself a carved image. Don't let anything come in your life and, and have this abnormal amount of consumption that would say, where I am with God is good. Pursue him. Father, we are so grateful for this word, for your heart, for what you do and, and how you speak. And we do ask, Lord, that you, through your grace, would move and draw us to your heart. Forgive us, Lord, when we look to these things, these, these idols. And, and not all of them are evil, Lord. Some are simply neutral. Some of them are, are entertainment. Some of them are, are good. And, Lord, even some of those things, we hate to say it, is the pursuit of legalism. That is, what I do is what makes me who I am. Not Jesus. It's, it's I'm simply in you, and you have made me who I am. And you will continue to make me who I am. I've been crucified with Christ. There's no longer I who live, but you who live in me in this life that I now live in the flesh. I live by faith. You live this life in me. We live by faith in you who's given us 
given yourself to us and has loved us. And so draw us, Lord, to your heart. Draw us into this way through your spirit and through your word. Warn us. Warn us when these idols come and say, you know what, what we have with you is good enough. It's sufficient. Don't give yourself any further. You don't have to pursue him and abandon. Jesus, you're all there is. It's all about you. And as we pursue you, you give us all things in our life as that we can be stewards of, but that we can draw closer to you in them. Teach us these truths we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, amen.